Oh, well, that was rushed. I walked, <laughs> I walked into my office and went, why is it so freaking hot? 29.3 degrees Celsius. Uh, it's hot because we've got summer. <laughs> summer, <laughs> summer coming. Cold beer time. So, uh, yeah, we are on the, the cusp of the really good weather here in Australia, on, on our part of the world here. I uh, am also partly late because I was just tweeting photos of uh, sitting out on the boat doing some work. So this was our, was our first boat work day in a really, really long day, long day, long time. Um, but it's nice. You take your laptop, you sit there, you tether, which is terrible on an iPhone. Where's my iPhone? It's still there. Good. <laughs> um, I'll get back to that. Yeah, you sit by the water, have a little swim, take some lunch with you. It was very pleasant. Oh. Tough life, as someone said in response to the comment. Fritz is here. G'day, Fritz. Good morning, afternoon. Marek, g'day from Sydney. Sydney be getting warm too. I know you had a really hot day just the other day. We're at, uh, well, we're back down now, are we? 25 Celsius. We were at 30 just before. We have a usually a very constant, this time of year, probably 25-ish and then we get in the next month and starts getting getting warm, but not hot like Sydney. Not in the it's very very rare to get like well up into the uh, in the Sydney's <laughs> into the thirties. Simon's there as well. George in Johannesburg also getting warm there. Different part of the world. I got to go to Johannesburg one day. Haven't been there yet. Alrighty, let me uh, let me jump into things. What are we doing? <laughs> Sponsor. Boy, so nice to be home. <laughs> I keep saying that. Why do I keep going away? Sponsor this week is a sponsor I've had for a, for a little while now, Aura. Online fraud is everywhere. Secure your finance and personal info with Aura's award-winning identity protection. Protect your identity. Now, Aura do make a wonderful platform. And, and the only caveat which I've, I've given before, uh, and I like to give because I like to then speak to the folks at Aura about this, is that it is for the US. <laughs> now, I'm conscious that that is one part of the world and that people like me are somewhere completely different. Uh, and obviously if people are in places like Johannesburg or Melbourne, g'day Simon, and Niren. Well, okay. We've got two from Sydney, two from Melbourne. You can't use Aura yet. But if you're from any of those, like loads and loads and loads of places in the US, you can. So it is American-centric identity theft uh, protection. Uh, let's try all that again. Identity protection product from Aura, and it is very good. I have spent quite a bit of time with the folks having a look at the way it works. Uh, and as I've said before, I'm putting the pressure on them to try and get us something decent in Australia because from what I've seen, we don't really have that yet. Smart, simple way to stay safe online, all in one digital safety for the whole family, protect from identity theft, fraud, and online threats. Freeze trial starts at $0, which is good. <laughs> $0 is a good way to start your trial. Uh, do go and check that out. Yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. I was just Spinning down the page here, FBI reported 10.3 billion in losses due to cybercrime. Um, you know, for Australia, our own figures for Australia is apparently 3 billion a year. Now, that's Aussie dollars. They're not worth quite as much as the American ones, but uh, that would be about 2 billion American dollars for us here in Australia. So it's obviously a massive, massive business. And at the tail end of this weekly video, I want to talk about ransomware. Uh, and, and trying to do a bit more stuff with ransomware. In the interim, uh, please go and check out Aura. Send them a message if you're not from the US and say you'd really like to see them in the US, or send me a tweet, because I send them all the tweets <laughs> you guys send me. 
if you are in the U.S., go and check it out. Good stuff. Thank you, Aura. Alrighty. Uh, what do I say we're going to do? It's in the tweet. You can tell I'm in home casual mode now. Isn't it good? Ah, 23andMe. Right, so. This, I feel, has had way more press than it deserves. But let's talk about it anyway. So, I have... Uh, I have signed up to 23andMe. I've not given them any of my DNA yet, but I was just curious to see their uh, their flow for signing up. And 23andMe uh, uh, and stay on track with Health Tracks, our new Health Tracks feature. I think what most people think of with 23andMe is uh, genetics and DNA and your ethnicity and your connections to other people. That was certainly the thing that I always had in the back of my head. Now, I'll be completely honest, I haven't had a lot of time actually looking through the details of the service because it's not really relevant to the point I'm trying to make here. What we do know is that they have a lot of information which people do treat as being very... I don't even know if sensitive is the right word because if someone... Let's say someone got all of my DNA, and that's not what's happening here, but someone gets all of my DNA. What do you do with it then? Now, I know the argument is, well, we don't know now, but what could you do with it later on? Like, that's the concern. But it's not like I'm going to pop up one day and there's just going to be, like, loads of Troy Hunt doppelgangers out there. And then I guess the point is is that it, it feels very personal, but in a practical sense, I wonder how much you can actually do with it and how much of an issue it is for most people. That said, the news headlines haven't looked real great for them. Now, I feel that usually the best way to get to grips with these things is to go through my... Uh, my Twitters. I started seeing headlines about this. It must have been about a week ago. And uh, what was sort of interesting about it was someone was allegedly posting data online. Well, they were posting data online, but they were alleging it had come from 23andMe, from a breach of 23andMe. And someone sent me this and I had a bit of a look and what I saw didn't indicate breach, not in the certainly the traditional way we'd think of it. Someone SQL injected their things or got a database backup or anything like that. Uh, and it, it just it just didn't seem quite right. So in fact, I tweeted, when was this October 6th? So it was a week ago today. I said, a few people flagged this with me, but 23andMe says no breach. Based on what I've seen, I'm more inclined to agree with them than not. Now this was 23andMe support replying to Dark Web Informer. The threat actor has allegedly leaked data from 23andMe. They claim... The data has a list of half of their users of 23andMe, 7 million. So inevitably, 23andMe has 14 million users. The data included a lot of confidential information. Now, it's a screen cap of uh, what I always refer to as a popular hacking forum, which many of you will, will know, but I won't go and name. Uh, it says 7 million records leaked. CSV file in the league. Let's actually open this up in a new tab where I can... See the whole image properly. CSV file in the link contains a profile list of half the members of 23andMe. Now, this is where things just, you'll see in a moment, just don't really add up. These members have technical details such as their origin estimation, phenotype, I don't know what a phenotype is, but it sounds like it's personal, and health information, which is personal. Photos, identification data, raw data, and the last login to the site. We have more than 13 million pieces of data. Each row or each raw data is around 20 to 30 meg in size. However, above all, I don't see enough interest for us to share. Hmm, okay. If the company management doesn't announce the data breach in 24 hours, we will start sharing the data here. 
And then they say after 10 downloads, the link is automatically deleted. Those who downloaded the file can share the link by uploading it again. Is that even still there? Let's just let me have a, without naming them. Uh, let me go through and uh -huh, see what I'm searching for here. Genetic data for sale. Oh, this was the other weird thing. And I'm not sure if it was, okay, that thread does not exist. That's gone. They were, someone here was on this popular hacking forum talking about the DNA data of celebrities. And then there's a point in here. Where was it? Yeah, now this is what I was looking at. Facebook data. And then it's like, well, why does it go there? Suddenly we're on Facebook data of Kazakhstan citizens. There's a lot of data out there. 23andMe database request, 23andMe, 7 database leaked. Anyway, there's a lot of chatter about this data. Now, what I saw originally, to me, just like set the bullshit meter off in terms of what was being represented. And still, as I see this now, when we see this tweet here, it's talking about 7 million. Doesn't seem quite right. 23andMe support followed up, said, following a claim that someone had gained access to and is selling certain 23andMe customer data, we conducted an investigation. We have not identified any unauthorized access to our systems. We will continue to monitor the situation. Now, this was, uh, that's eight days ago. Yeah, and then that's the thread that I then picked up. Now, what then appears to have happened here as this whole thing is, has panned out is that it's credential stuffing. So, good old normal everyday folks have reused their username and password across multiple different services. One of those services, not 23andMe, has had a breach in the classic sense where email addresses and passwords and things like that have come out. And by virtue of those coming out, they then get reused and someone goes and tests them on services like 23andMe. Now, it seems absolutely unambiguous that that is what's happened because 23andMe have put out statements to that effect. What does seem to, again, like not just pass that bullshit test is that it would be 7 million people. Uh, because if you were to think about your classic credential stuffing list, which are very, very large, to have half of someone's entire subscriber base, 7 million, a large number, to have them in credential stuffing lists and be able to get into all those accounts and get access to them, see, is extremely unlikely to me. Now, the, the number's not zero either. <laughs> so we don't quite know exactly how big the number is. I'm not even sure if 23andMe know how big the number is. Because part of the problem is, what does a successful credential stuffing attack look like? Well, it, it looks like people logging in to their account with the right username and password. The thing that kind of struck me when I was thinking about this is there have been so many credential stuffing attacks for so long. Why is it now towards the end of 2023 that someone manages to get into 23andMe? Why not three years ago? Uh, I doubt that they've made the security any weaker in that time. I don't know. I'll come back to that. Let me see the comments just here. Uh, Fritz is worried about an invasion of me doppelgangers if 23 me data gets out there. Igor's also in Sydney. I'm really catering for the Aussie time zone today. James, I plan on going to sleep. Might take a bit longer now. You're definitely not in Australia then. Joseph, phenotype is like hair colour, eye colour. Well, you probably worked that out by now. Blood type. I even I don't know what that is. Mine. Other observable traits, if I recall correctly, and get a Wayne. Right. So uh, as this has panned out, let's just see the latest tweets from me. That's where I find all of my things again. Um, uh -huh. I did share 
their their statement. Oh, here's the other thing. This one, oh, I gotta hate this. I'm gonna come back to that. Where was the early bit? Uh, all right, so they've written something up here. Uh, someone sent it to me just to uh, to show me what their disclosure notes look like. I thought this read pretty well. Now, I won't go through the whole thing, but it's dear blank. <laughs> we want to provide you with an important update and recommended actions. Uh, and what I like about this is it makes it quite clear. What happened? We recently learned that certain profile information which a customer creates and chooses to share with their genetic relatives in the DNA relatives feature was accessed from individual 23andMe accounts. This was done without the account user's authorization. We do not have any indication at this time that there has been a data security incident within our systems or that 23andMe was the source of the account credentials used in these attacks. Now, they do go on here a little bit later and they talk about, um, da, 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 I think somewhere in here, they, do they use the word credential stuffing? Uh, they're encouraging you to reset your password if you've been using it other places. Where I think that they've gone a little bit wrong with this is that earlier tweet saying there was none, no unauthorized access. And even in here saying we do not have any indication at this time that there has been a data security incident within our systems. Is it, is it an incident if a large number of accounts are accessed by the one person because of reused credentials? And I kind of get what they're saying. It, it's like someone came along with the right email address and the right password and they logged into the system. So it's not necessarily circumventing a, a, a control. But there's also the counter argument of, well, you probably should have a control to stop large number of accounts being logged onto by attackers. Now, again, I feel like I, with each one of these discussions, you throw them some bones and you take some bones away. This is a problem that organizations like 23andMe also need to have solutions for. Uh, so there needs to be solutions to credential stuffing attacks or rather defenses where there are solutions out there. I don't think any of them are 100% correct because at the end of the day, if you get someone that literally goes and sits down on the machine and they have the right username and password and they go and type the whole thing in and they connect from a normal IP address and a normal browser and all of the other indicators are okay, you're not going to stop that person from getting in without having a load of false positives that piss your customers off as well. But this shouldn't be happening en masse. And again, we're not, we're not even entirely sure what en masse means. Not sure how many it is. Now, here's what bugs me with this. It's not about them, it's about some of the reactions. One of the reactions I heard a lot of was they should force MFA on everyone. So apparently they've had MFA for ages. And it would be safe to say, without having seen this statement, but it would be safe to say that none of the accounts that got taken over had MFA turned on. These credential stuffing attacks are very like spray and pray. It's just like chuck as much stuff at the site as possible, see how many of them stick. As soon as you have MFA, well, then you can have a discussion about how hard it is to sim hijack someone or all of that. But it's a massive barrier to entry over and above just usernames and passwords. So that the idea that they should enforce MFA on everyone, I think I said to the person, I was like, can you name me a single consumer-facing website that enforces MFA? And I think they said, well, our government uh, site does. Well, wasn't, I probably should have caveated, can you point me to a single, <laughs> uh, yeah, single website where you go and sign up of your own free volition because you want to use the services. 
you can't just shop governments. <laughs> you know, it's not like we're here in Australia going, oh, I don't like that my GovAuth system. I'm going to go and use the Kiwi version instead. As you can't do that. It's like governments can force a higher barrier to entry in part because people don't have a choice. And then there's a whole discussion around accessibility and everything and how do you cater for the less technical and so on. But for the most part, they can say this is what you've got to do. It's just the same as an organisation. If you work for a company and they say you're all going to use MFA, then you will all use MFA and they'll give you the tokens for it or the access cards, whatever it may be, and you'll get support to use it. But imagine, imagine Dropbox or LinkedIn, both having had data breaches, both had MFA for ages and ages, and a heap of people got their asses handed to them as a result of it. They still do not force multi-factor authentication. And there's multiple reasons why they don't. And one of them is it's a massive barrier to entry. MFA, for the most part, sucks bad. And there are various things we can do to make it suck less as both developers and end users. But for the most part, it's really unpleasant. And you're putting this big barrier up in front of people. Imagine the poor, poor marketing manager. <laughs> it's like, we would like to make it as easy as possible to sign up. And then security folks are, we would like to make it as hard as possible to log in. Okay, that's not necessarily mutually compatible goals. So there's that. And then the other problem is, <laughs> imagine Dropbox. I remember speaking to someone at Dropbox because I saw some figures published about low single-digit percentage adoption rates of people actually signing up to MFA on Dropbox. And I said, well, look, why don't you, why don't you push it harder? I didn't say enforce it. Why don't you push it harder? Remember the person saying, well, here's the problem. When people turn on MFA, and we've all done this before, you go into the security settings somewhere on the website after you log in and you go to the MFA bit and you go, yes, I'd like to turn this on. And what you're saying when you do that is if someone has the right username and the right password, but then they don't have the token, for example, a six-digit rotating code, don't let them log in. And then they go away and they get a new phone one day and they didn't migrate their tokens. Uh, they've been using Google Authenticator before they started backing up the cloud and rolling over a different discussion. And they've lost their tokens. So they go to Dropbox and they say, hey, I've got the right email address and the right password, but I don't have the token. Can you please let me in? And then Dropbox was like, yeah, but like before when we knew it was definitely you, because you only, mind you, did they know it was definitely them? Because they only had the email address and the password. But anyway, back then, you said, if you have the email address and password, but not the token, don't let them in. And now here you are asking for exactly what like old you, younger you, <laughs> told us to do. And of course, there are ways of recovering accounts, but then you fall back to very manual, laborious identity verification processes. It is burdensome for the organization. They've got to support that. So I don't see services like this ever mandating multi-factor authentication, not whilst it's such a barrier to entry for so many people. So I don't think that's feasible. Now, here's the other thing that pissed me off. <laughs> Troy Hunt's weekly, here's what I'm angry about. Um, I'm just going to read the headline. So keeping in mind that it was about October 6 that this started happening, and that is credential stuffing, People's reuse credentials, someone logging in with them. October 6. October 10. The headline here is 23andMe sued over hack of genetic data affecting thousands. And apparently they're getting sued because of this. So, and this is what really bugs me. 
Biotech company 23andMe Inc. allegedly failed to protect the genetic information of thousands of people, down from 7 million, that's something, thousands of people that was exposed in a data breach, announced October 6, a proposed federal class action said. Here's a zinger. Monica Santana and Paula Klinberg allege that 23andMe, a provider of genetic testing services, maintained their personal information in a reckless manner and failed to use reasonable and adequate measures to keep their data safe. So because Monica and Paul are not real good with passwords, it's 23andMe's fault. Now, I have always said, I don't want to make people upset, and they'll say it's victim blaming and I should get cancelled. We don't want that. Uh, I've always said it is a shared responsibility, this whole space. And the shared responsibility is online services need to have provisions in place to minimise the likelihood and impact of credential stuffing. You're never going to down to zero. Because like I said before, someone will have the email address and password of someone else and you haven't mandated MFA because you want customers and they just come and log in by typing it in. So something's got to be done on behalf of the organisations providing services, but also the individuals who are going around playing fast and loose with their own personal security and then going, well, I'm not surprised at what happened now. There's got to be some responsibility there. And it's not victim blaming simply to say you take on a lot of risk if you go and reuse credentials. Information exposed in the breach includes name, sex, date of birth, genetic ancestry results, profile photos, geographic location, uh, according to the complaint filed on Monday. I haven't looked at the complaint yet. It's on Bloomberg Law. Some of the information has appeared for sale online, including that of prominent figures such as uh, Zuckerberg, Musk, Sergey Brin, according to a press account cited in the lawsuit. Oh, well, they've actually published the court docket here. Oh, this is depressing. I've written before about lawyers and class actions and my experience with them has been a combination of the things that I read online like everybody else as well as regularly being contacted by class action lawyers asking for it could be anything from more data that was in the breaches that people now want to mount class actions over to uh, I remember one in particular wanted to put advertising on have I been pwned so that after you found you had been pwned, you could then like better call soul your way to a class action lawsuit by clicking on a banner ad or something, which was just sleazy as. Ugh. I was not happy with that. Uh, I think I just didn't reply. <laughs> I normally like to be as polite as possible to lawyers, but this one was just ridiculous. I wrote a blog post. Um, what I call it? I'm going to put this in the show notes later on. Where are we? Troy Hunt class actions. Because it really, really, really bugged me. And I use Better Call Soul. Data breaches, class actions, and ambulance chasing. And through there, I, I went through a whole bunch of different examples of the way class action lawyers go out and advertise and seek customers who have been in data breaches in order to join these legal actions to go to town on these organisations. And very often they bundle it up under the auspices of somebody needs to hold them accountable and they need to be punished for it. They need to be taught a lesson. Which is really why you have regulators you know, and governments to enforce this in a way that's not just seeking punitive damages, which ultimately go to the lawyers and not the individuals. And this was a fascinating thing. I can't remember if I put dollar figures in here. But 
the individuals themselves rarely ever see any money whatsoever. Like it's, it's, it was to the point where it was like double digit dollars, you know? Well, I joined this class action and all I got was 50 bucks. And it's just ridiculous. So the individuals who are thinking they're holding these organizations to account, they're just causing everyone to lawyer up more and more and more and ultimately not really making any money out of it. So I was very disappointed to see that. Uh, and, and the other thing is, well, I'm on my high horse about this. So very often the premise of the class action is someone has suffered damages and they need to be compensated for the damages. And they will say, for example, well, I had my identity stolen. And because of that, I have suffered, which you would suffer if you have your identity stolen. And I want to hold this website that had the data breach accountable. And usually the basis for that is they got breached, personal information got obtained. Now, was the identity theft? Go and get Aura <laughs> to help you. Nice segue there. Today's sponsor, this week's sponsor. Was the identity theft as a result of that particular data breach that you now want to go to town on them on, or was it because that piece of data from that breach went into the great big swimming pool of data that's come from all of these different locations and someone picked it out of there and your address has already been exposed in five different data breaches and your date of birth was in another three, but they're the ones you want to get attacked. Like, how do you know which was the incident that leaked your data that was then used to steal your identity? But as it relates to 23andMe, there's a four-day period between the breach and the start of the class action. And I'd say it's a pretty safe bet that within that period of time, no one was able to use their data, steal their identity, and do them harm. So all you're left with was, I was in a data breach and it made me sad, and I would like compensation for feeling so sad about it. And I say this as someone who, to the best of my knowledge, has been in 30 data breaches. So, well, actually, it's more than that. There are 30 instances of my personal data in a data breach and have I been pwned. There are other breaches I know I'm in that are not in have I been pwned. Australian Red Cross Blood Service, perfect example. They made me sad to be in the breaches, but I'm not then going to go to, let's say, the Australian Red Cross Blood Service, who, by the way, are trying to save people's lives as well, and say, uh, I was quite sad by this. Could you please give me money now? <laughs> it's just... People these days. Hmm. No comments. <laughs> James says, it's always an incident, as long as possible. Once it's no longer an incident, the regulatory clock starts, I'm told. Yep. It, it, it's, a, it's a good observation in that, that the wording is so carefully crafted by organisations. And I have known people very, very, very close to me inside organisations that have had data breaches. When I say very close, like what? Without throwing him under the bus, so, someone who was one of my closest friends inside an organization that had just been a data breach uh, that I'd disclosed and watching this organization fumble it. And I was like, mate, what's like, what is going on? He's like, dude, it's just, it's a room full of lawyers sitting around a table just figuring out how to spin it. So they're very cautious about the words they use because, partly because of the likes of class actions that then follow. Uh, if they admit guilt, for example, uh, what does that then mean? So it's, yeah, it's, it's sad because the people that, that come off worst are the individuals. Joseph says, this makes me want to read their terms and conditions and if it addresses liability. 
Uh, if you read the terms and conditions, most of them will say, you use this at your own risk and we have no liability if you use it. And I'm sure that when those class actions kick off, that's what they're going to fall back on. But yeah. Joshua says Equifax, yeah. Nick 007, I'm not sure it is good or bad that the weather in Melbourne and London is the same in October. Now, what is it like in Melbourne? I don't know. I can guess what it's like in London. I feel that's a much more predictable outcome, particularly this time of year. All right, moving on. Uh, new data breach and have I been pwned? Not a new data breach, full stop, but a new one and have I been pwned? Bureau Van Dyke. Now, this is one of those ones where I've been uh, trying to fill in some of the gaps and have I been pwned where there have been breaches of significance and they're not yet in there. And part of the way I do that is there's various lists around that have been curated with various levels of, of casualness uh, that list various incidents and the number of records. And I've literally got a big list that I'm going through in, in reverse descending order and processing those at the same time as I'm dealing with all the other new stuff. I'll just read the Have I Been Pwned description. 28 million unique email addresses among hundreds of gigabytes of personal and corporate data, I think it was about 430 gigabytes, were obtained from Bureau Van Dyke in 2021 and published publicly. Now, the news for this from memory came out last year. Data included name, address, phone number, and date of birth. 46% were already in Have I Been Pwned, and then I've got a link through to a story about this. Now, as best I can tell, Bureau Van Dyke is one of these organizations that are sells information on other people slash organizations. Now, for the most part, this looked to me to be very corporate data. Uh, so it had uh, physical addresses, but they looked like office addresses. Phone numbers, I didn't test any of them, but I would imagine they're going to be like office phone numbers. Job titles, all of that is arguably corporate data and emails. But there were a lot of gmail.com addresses in there which is not normally corporate stuff. There were a lot of names, which you might go, yeah, duh, but names are personal. They're personal info. And the, the one that really made me question how corporate this is, is dates of birth. There's a lot of dates of birth in there. Now, I can imagine how this would be valuable for an organization to, to sell and for other organizations to buy because it helps for targeted marketing and all the stuff that feels a little bit sleazy. But one thing I was conscious of is that if they are the providers of this data, is the fact the data is out there reflective of them having had a data breach or someone who bought the data having had a data breach? Because we've seen this before. Now, the, the one that comes to mind while well, we've got someone here from Joburg is Master Deeds in South Africa. So that must have been about four or five years ago. Maybe even more, six years ago. That was a massive incident. I think from memory, there are about 50 million people in there, which off the top of my head was everyone in South Africa, including a bunch of people who are no longer alive. And that ended up being, I think, a real estate agent who'd bought this data from this particular company. Uh, let's, let's say it was bought it legally because apparently you can legally sell this stuff. And then they leaked it. So that they had unprotected servers, data got exposed, next minute, and have I been pwned? So not immediately clear to me whether Bureau Van Dyke uh, themselves had the breach or someone they sold the data had the breach. It would be fascinating to see, after it went into Have I Been Pwned, how many people got in touch with them and said, why do you have my data? Because this is what happens. Now, 
I can't remember the numbers exactly, but I've got nearly 4.7 million subscribers to Have I Been Pwned. And when I load a data breach, very often about 1% of the people in the data breach are Have I Been Pwned subscribers. Now, if there are 28 million over here, that would be 280,000 people. It definitely wasn't that much. It was much, 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 much smaller. But I, what I recall from loading the breach is that uh, there were some tens of thousands of individuals, but there were a lot more people doing domain monitoring that were in there, that were impacted. And I, I think that probably makes sense if it's like corporate data. So I wonder how many InfoSec folks, legal folks within organizations that found their people in there reached out to Bureau Van Dyke and said, uh, hey, why do you have my data? And then, of course, they have to, I would imagine, go into defense mode and say, well, we're legally operating as a data aggregator selling your your employees' information, both their corporate and their personal information. Feels icky though, doesn't it? Just like selling personal data of that nature in order to get more spam. Or provide enrichment services. For those of you listening later on, I did air quote enrichment. <laughs> That's often what these organizations do. And what enrichment looks like is that you've got a, a customer base. So you're a completely different service. You're not BVD here. Your Acme Core, and you're selling widgets, and you've got a million customers, and you'd like to know more about them. So you get a set of data like this, and you match the email addresses there, or the phone numbers there, or whatever other sort of rough primary key you have, and then you match it to yours. And then you know roughly what age Troy is, and he's, if you've got the 23andMe data, my genetic history, and what kind of cornflakes I like for breakfast. And then they target marketing based on that. So it enriches the data they already have. Hmm. Marek says, Latitude. Enough said. Latitude Financial, of course, being the Australian organization that got breached earlier this year. And I was in that too. So, yeah, thanks for the reminder, Marek. Um, that was the one where my mum and dad handed me a letter that was sent to their address that I haven't lived at since the 90s. And they're like, so you got this letter. We opened it because we figured it's so long ago, you know, I don't know. They justified it somehow. They opened it, and as my mum and dad were like, congratulations, you've been pwned. <laughs> Here's your data breach notification. Because apparently at some time in the 90s, I had a car loan or something like that. Pravfieldy says, so question here. I hope this is not a rabbit hole question. Here we go. Wasn't blockchain aimed at protecting this data and hence control of the use of it? That was the intent, right? It implemented. No, so we've decided to do it with AI now. So AI is going to fix it all. Uh, blockchain didn't, but AI will definitely, definitely, definitely fix it all. Uh, I, don't, I don't think blockchain ever promised to solve that problem. It, it promised to solve uh, uh, questions of transparency and immutability and uh, independence of individual central repositories of truth. And, and probably, <laughs> I think actually blockchain pretty much promised the world. But no, it was not going to solve these problems. And if, if you think about it, regardless of the construct you use, even the encryption models you use, you still need, as an operating business, to have access to names, email addresses, phone numbers, and things in the clear, because you need them in the clear. You need to be able to send people emails. You need to be able to address them by name. Uh, depending on the nature of your organization, you might need the date of birth in the clear. So... 
there are much better ways that we can protect the data, but if you look at the way they tend to leak, I mean, look, the BVD thing, that literally seems to be their business, collecting this data and giving it to other people. The other things like 23andMe, yeah, often people say things like, well, all of it should have been encrypted. It should have encrypted all the data. <laughs> now, I don't think I have seen a single data breach. There's 700 and have I been pwned. There's probably nearly that many again that I've looked at over the years. I don't think I've seen a single one where data at rest is encrypted in the fields of the database. Yes, there'll be full disk encryption and transport layer security, but I can't think of a single case where it's seen encrypted. Now, in the case of 23andMe, if the data has been scraped off a web page after literally logging into their account, if you need to be able to show the data to someone on a screen, then even if you've encrypted it at rest, it's going to come out decrypted onto the screen because you need to be able to see your ethnicity on the screen. And then that gets scraped, and now here we are. So even that is not really the fix for us. Simon says, my mum was caught up in that. Ten years after she passed away, oh, geez, that's, I assume that's latitude. Marek says, same. They sent me a complaint reply that I couldn't open because the password they provided didn't work. Absolutely awful. Still waiting for a complaint reply on the above. Jeez. Oh, okay. Because how do you not be in data breaches? This is often the question that comes up. People say, well, you know, you, Troy, you think about this a lot. How do you not be in a data breach? Well, I'm not very good at that because, as I said before, I'm in 30 of them <laughs> that I know of. I mean, more than 30 that I know of. I'm just in 30 and have I been pwned. It's like, what do you do? Do you, do you not take out a loan? Well, that's fantastic if you have the resources to do that, but I certainly didn't have that choice in the 90s. Um, let's say it's the Red Cross Blood Service. Uh, do you not donate blood? Or if you do, in my case, I filled out the paperwork, and it was paperwork. It was a piece of paper and a pencil, because I remember precisely when and where I was when I did it. Do you not donate blood? Well, no, that's, that's sucky, because it saves lives, you know? <laughs> Uh, you, you, you just can't not be in data breaches. Sad fact. Um, okay. Speaking of data breaches, last thing I had on the list here. How do we burn nearly 40 minutes already? Speaking of data breaches, ransomware. Now, folks here would have seen a lot of news on this lately. There, there's just been... It feels like a massive spate of ransomware that has seriously upticked in the last few years. Now, I first of all, the history of ransomware. Ransomware goes back as far as the 80s. Now, and I've, I've done talks on this before, and I did research at the time, so I assume it's still correct, but the first instance of ransomware we saw was the AIDS virus. 1989, it would be shipped around by floppy disks, so obviously we didn't have the internet in the way we have it today back in 1989. Uh, they'd chip it around a floppy disk. you put the floppy disk in because you're going to get a free game or whatever it is. It'd encrypt your things and you would have to send a cashier's check to Panama in order to get the decryption key to unlock your machine. Now, that was, uh, that was what, 34 years ago. And then we get into the era of the internet. And particularly there was a period there, let's call it five to ten years ago, where we saw a huge uptick of ransomware encrypting your things, attacks against availability. It would encrypt your things. You'd get messages on the screen about paying, usually Bitcoin, 
because that did revolutionize ransomware so much easier than a cashier's check to Panama. <laughs> that encrypt your thing, so please pay Bitcoin, we'll give you the decryption key, you'll get your files back, and very often you did, so the business model was sound for the ransomware crews. But we've seen this big pivot in the last few years in particular, and I feel in the last couple of years has really, really peaked, where it's attacks against availability, so still the old encrypting your things just as the AIDS virus did back in the 80s, but it's also attacks against confidentiality because they're saying, we encrypted all your things and we took a backup. And now we've seen the rise and rise of all of these ransomware crews, you know, the Alpha Vs and the Lockbits and a gazillion others that seem to pop up left, right and centre. A lot of them are affiliates. They work together. They're on some sort of commission program. They run these websites and they'll say, let me see, I've probably got one open here somewhere because this is literally what I'm looking at at the moment. Uh, let me see. What do I have here? Yep, here's one. Uh, which one was this? I'm on the file listing at the moment because that's where we're going to go with this discussion in just a moment. They'll say, look, uh, Acme Core. Actually, let's just do it. Let, MGM, because I spoke about MGM the other day because the ransomware crew decided to name me in their, in their message that they posted. Uh, they'll say MGM has been compromised. There's a little counter. It's ticking down. Either they pay the ransom in time Otherwise, we will leak all of their files. And inevitably, they do start to leak files. Uh, this one, this, is, this was Alpha V, is not responding at the moment. Oh, interesting. Onion site not found. The most likely cause is that the Onion site is offline. Well, that would be a good outcome, but it's not really helping me right now. So what I'm looking at now is a directory listing of a ransomware site. It's in the Tor browser. It's obviously loaded over over the dark web, and this organization has had all of their things dumped, which is what is often happening here because most organizations don't pay the ransom. Some organizations like Caesars in Vegas did the other day. I think it was 15 million, which doesn't really help solve the problem. I'm sure it solves some problems for them, but it doesn't really help us have less ransomware. So uh, we're seeing all this data dumped and increasingly I'm looking at this going, look, is there a role for have I been paying to play with this data? And more specifically, should I index it, pull the email addresses out and make it searchable? And, and this is an open question to the audience too. So either the folks listening here now, or if you listen to this later on, go to the blog post or put out for this or send me a tweet or something like that and tell me what you think. There are, as with many things, pros and cons with this. First of all, just a con from pure technical perspective, what tends to happen when ransomware crews are dumping data is they've obtained, in some cases, multiple terabytes worth of data and they just dump it in a directory listing. So this one I'm looking at at the moment is inevitably a directory listing of their web server. They then list two IP addresses here, which are the IP addresses of the machines that they have taken data from. And then you can drill through, just like a directory listing, making an HTTP request to the web page each time you drill down and see a listing of everything. It is unorganized. It's uncategorized. There is a heap of stuff in there. There's a heap of PDFs that will be invoices and images that will be driver's licenses. Uh, there are often PST files from Outlook backups, individual emails, Word documents. Occasionally there are CSVs and .SQL files and database backups and things like that. But it is a massive just dump of 
a huge amount of information. Indexing that is never going to be easy. And it's in part because the data is so large and also in part because it's spread across so many different file types as well. But then I look at it and go, these organizations that are like the organizations that are the subject of ransomware attacks, they know about it because someone's reaching out to them going, hey, can we have Bitcoin now, please? But what about everyone else whose personal data is in there? Do they get told about it? And when Charlotte and I were having a boat working day today, we were talking through this and I'm sort of explaining the whole model to her and it's like, well, I mean, let's imagine it's MGM. So that MGM data has probably got a heap of MGM employee data in there a heap of MGM customers, people who've stayed at their resorts. But what about all the other communications that's in there? What about, let's say there's PSCs in there and emails. What about all the other people that these folks have communicated with? So what about the suppliers that they've had discussions with? The lawyers suing them because their client lost too much money or whatever it is. What about all of the other people who are in that data and have now had their personal information, their personal communication exposed. Because I bet you anything, the organizations that they're receiving into these ransomware attacks aren't going through pulling out all the email addresses and going, well, we really should let everybody know. It's definitely not happening. But should it? So should have a been poem be the vehicle that helps do that? Mark says, uh, Big uptick in phishing attacks too. They're getting more elaborate with the scripts that detected the site is being viewed on a mobile phone. I had a phishing attack yesterday. I had one of these phone calls where they said it was from Visa, fraudulent transactions. Uh, so I just, I did the, I was making a sandwich <laughs> and I just put the guy on speaker and I'm like, okay, I just check my credit card and I give it 30 seconds. He's like, hello, sir. So you're still there? So yeah, yeah, but I'm making a sandwich. Let me finish and then I'll talk. Oh yeah. A minute later, he's like, sir, are you there? I'm eating my sandwich. Can I talk to you after I finish eating my sandwich? And eventually he swore at me, which was a pleasing outcome. Uh, Jane says, I just requested my data removed from Fast People Search. They wanted an email. But see, how did he get in there in the first place? I can guess. PDL. How do they even manage to download terabytes of data from infected computers? Do they just silently wait notifying the user until everything has been transferred? Well, I think there's a really, a really good question here, and this is inevitably where a bunch of cybersecurity companies are carving out a massive business for themselves. How do you exfil large volumes of data in a fashion that is anomalous from normal business usage? So... Uh, I can't remember how much it was for MGM, but let's say for the sake of argument, it was like three terabytes of data. If you're running MGM InfoSec, can you actually see when multiple terabytes of data are being exfilled by ransomware crews? And of course, a lot of the, the mechanisms that they're using are deliberately designed to make that data difficult to detect on the way out. But in answer to your question, yes, obviously they want to get as much data out as they can, and once they get as much as they can, they want to encrypt as much of what is left as possible because maximize business value. Marek says, isn't processing the different types of data and ransomware dumps a next to impossible task? Y yes and no. Uh, depends on the class of data. Now, one of the things I've got to pick up again is I had open sourced the Have I Been Pwned email extractor tool. So this is the tool that gets run over a data dump 
extracts all the email addresses out via regex before the data then goes into have I been pwned. Now that's pretty easy to do when you've got text files. So .sql files, .csv files are, are probably the two most common ways I get data dumps. That's not hard. But one of the goals of that project is to also be able to do that with PDF documents. It's not too hard to parse PDF documents, but it's not as easy as to open the file and find email addresses. You need a PDF reader. Uh, what about Word documents? What about PSTs? What about zip files? Because you've got to extract those and then go through the contents. It's all doable, but I feel like it's not doable by me in the time that I have. And I'm tossing up at the moment. As I'm sort of oscillating between do I just create a new open source project and see who wants to contribute to it, or do I literally go out and pay someone to help build this and I just buy some contractor time for a while? I don't know. I don't know. But even then, it's like if it's terabytes of data, the, the thought I had in mind, and I, I, because I can't say no to stuff, I started building this. So the thought I had was if they're directory listings, at the very least, like go through, index it all, are there .sql files? Are there .csv files? Yeah. Are there obvious file patterns that are readily parsable that we can start with? But then that might be a problem too, because what happens if it's... Sorry, I keep throwing MGM under the bus, but I feel like I've got a bit of skin in the game since I got named on it. Uh, what happens if you go, yeah, here's the, you know, the 5 million email addresses from MGM, but it hasn't processed you know, the PSTs, which have got a shitload of them in it. And then someone's like, well, I, is this a false negative? Because I didn't get told about it, but I've definitely emailed with them. Don't know. Uh, Jane says, I recognize some incorrect data. That was on my credit report. So that's probably part of it. Marek says, email, yes, but documents, spreadsheets of different formats, access databases, oh, God. All the corporate rubbish ones is bound to find. Um, yeah, because we, we get into this space of, it, it's almost to, to be very accountant-like about it, the, the ROI. So where does it make sense to invest the time? So... I wonder if something like a PST would actually make a lot of sense because there's so many email addresses in a PST. Now, of course, there's going to be email addresses from those various services that send you spam the whole time as well. But it's we don't know this. Like if we're just regexing out email addresses, you don't know if it's the service sending spam or if it's someone talking about something really sensitive and they actually want to know. Hmm. So I don't know. It's just one of the things. That's just that this inkling of an idea that I feel like I want to pursue. Uh, so if anyone listens to this later on and you have great ideas about it or you really want to build it, uh, please get in touch with me because I, I think that there is, I think there's something really cool that can be done and I think there's a lot of people impacted by these incidents that just don't know about it and will never get told about it. But particularly when they are ransomware crews, that data gets dumped in a way that makes it as broadly and publicly accessible as possible. You know, this is not closed circle redistributing stuff. This is fire up the onion router and you're literally into these big ransomware dumps with directory listings and huge amounts of personal information in there. And I feel that those folks in those breaches are not getting told about it. That's my theory. All right, folks, I'm going to wrap it up there and go on with my Friday evening. I hope this has been useful. Thank you, everyone, for drop by. Uh, and again, if you have thoughts, particularly around that ransomware stuff, please, please let me know. 
I'm really, really interested to hear what you have to say. Have an awesome weekend. See you later.